I was praying about this meeting and what I was to speak on tonight, first service, and the Holy Spirit gave me a very definite word. That was a couple of days ago. And I never want to try to preach without that assurance. That is the anointing. We can do all the religious stuff and come away completely empty and dry. Or we can spend two or three minutes under the power of the anointing and everything changes. Everything. I so much appreciated the words that were shared about Uganda, Africa, because let me share this with you. In 1900, Africa had a population of about 300 million. It's the same today. And there was probably 3 million Christians only in the whole continent. And most of them were localized in South Africa, the white population of that had been Dutch immigrants at about the same time that the pilgrims came to America, the Dutch settled and populated South Africa. And today, there's a, that population statistic has totally reversed. There's now about 300 million Christians in Africa. Astonishing. And it's also significant to know that South America or Latin America has the same statistic that in 1900, and it was all Roman Catholic, and 1900 there was about 100 million Roman Catholics in Latin America and less than 2 million evangelicals. Today that has reversed. There's about 100 million evangelicals in Latin America, and the preponderance of them are those who believe and have experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, 85% of all Christian conversions taking place right now around the world is being done by those who believe in all the gifting of the Holy Spirit. I'm one of those. When my ministry began in 1949, uh, I was ordained in Miami, Florida. And that was totally unknown and unappreciated. And people who claimed the gifts of the Spirit and who claimed to speak in tongues were considered the weirdos of the world. And perhaps they were in the eyes of the world. But little did most of the Christian population know and understand that God himself was making radical changes. I'm one of the radical changes he made. I, my ancestry in Florida, back to my great-great-grandfather, who was a circuit-riding Baptist pastor and a hyper-Calvinist Baptist pastor, and his son, my great-grandfather, who was also an ordained 
pastor and circuit riding, rode horseback through the swamps and woods to preach the gospel. And so I come from a long line of believers. But very quickly, one sentence, in, I was ordained in 1949, and then in 1977, I was living in Atlanta, and I had <laughs> the ultimate encounter with the Holy Spirit. I was going through crisis. God did not cause the crisis, but he did seize the opportunity to get my attention. And he's good at doing that. My ministry on the inside of me was drying up. I was, to myself, not experiencing the anointing and joy of my former years. I was beginning to see the lopsidedness of my particular conviction and religious faith because there was so much scripture we had to ignore in order to be the hardline Calvinists that we were. And I was going personally through that crisis, spiritually, internally, and then my wife was in a tragic, tragic automobile wreck. Well, that pushed me over the edge. But I didn't tell anybody what was going on in me. I was just secretly telling the Lord, if you don't stop the planet and get me off, and these are my exact words, if you don't stop the planet and get me off, I'm going to show you how. And I was gripped secretly in suicidal depression. I did not let my family or the public or the church know that. <laughs> But I knew without God's radical move in my life, I was going to be gone. And one morning, one of my church members came and visited with me, and he said, Charles, he said, you know, I teach at the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, and I have a young man in my class, a Christian. He's different. I don't understand him, but he, he, had, he liked what he saw. He said, I'd like for you to meet him. And I said, I'll go tomorrow. And I went the next day. I didn't know what it was that was different about this young man. He had grown up in a gangster family, had uh, devoted his life to crime like his family, and it ended up in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and got heroin in the prison and was committing suicide. And told me, he said, I had enough heroin in the syringe to kill four men. And I had the needle in my arm. And I was ready to shove it in when Jesus spoke to me and said, I died that you might live. It isn't necessary that you die also. Trust me. And he said, I stood there that moment with a needle in my arm wondering, which way do I go? Which way do I go? And he said, I pulled the needle out, threw it down, and on the spot, I was born again. <laughs> he said, on the spot, I was delivered from suicidal depression. And that rang every 
bell in my being. And he said, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I was a hardline Calvinist Baptist, and that just didn't fit with what I was supposed to believe. But it caught up with me. And I remember later that autumn, I had come to the point of such total black despair that I couldn't take it any longer. And he apparently knew that. We were visiting in the, I was visiting him in the visitor's room. The mafia was all around us. And I was in such depression, I dropped my head on the table in front of him. And I felt his hand come on my head. And he said, Brother Charles, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. You recognize that as being Ananias's words to Saul of Tarsus. I left the prison still in that horrible, horrible depression wanted to drive my car into an abutment, bridge abutment on the interstate, but I didn't. I got home. Got home, my wife was gone. Our daughter had taken her out. I went into the bedroom, fell across the bed, and really for the first time in my life and ministry, I surrendered to Jesus Christ. I did. And it's interesting, now that was in 1977, that I can still remember the exact words that I prayed. I said, Lord, I can't go on. If you're ever going to help me, it has to be now. Next week, next month, a year from now will be too late. The Holy Spirit fell on me, literally fell on me, I guess filled the whole room. I felt something grab my throat, grab it, and I felt something else snatch it out. And there on the bed, I experienced in a very visible way deliverance from a demon of suicide and depression. I felt it when it was snatched out. I then felt myself being poured into, flooded by the power of the Holy Spirit. At first, I did not know what was happening to me. I knew it was good. But that moment, that was November 23rd, 1977, Wednesday before Thanksgiving Day, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, my whole life was radically changed. My ministry was radically changed. 
My address was radically changed. My denomination canceled my ordination. My friends radically changed. My whole situation radically changed. But since I have seen literally thousands of others be radically changed. And that's what it's all about. Being radically changed. Being radically changed. Having the junk, the trash cast out of our lives. And being filled with the Holy Spirit. And every detail, like it's laid out in the book of Acts. And other scriptures. Where it isn't just someone's imagination. Here it's in the book. In the book. At any rate... When I was praying this earlier this week about what the Lord wanted me to speak to you tonight. Now let me find the scripture. It's in the book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 11. Well, let me read I'll start in verse 6. Abram, still called Abram, before the change of his name, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then Abram said to, to the Lord, no, the Lord said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now, up till this point, Abram had been wandering, but not knowing that it was God who was directing his wandering. And that God had brought him to this specific spot where he now stood because he said he was going to give him this land, which is the land of Israel as we know it today. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. <clears throat> Abram said to him, the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. And Abram said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now he says this because he has no heir. He's an old man already. He has no children. So he said to him, the Lord said to Abram, now this is where I want you to pay attention especially, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. There's five. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. He's making a sacrifice of them down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And this is our text. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, I rarely do this, but I, to get the message foundation laid... I want to read a couple of thoughts to you. 
And it's this. I want to make a New Testament presentation, but begin by focusing on this Old Testament fact. The vultures were attempting to destroy all five animals of Abram's sacrifice. It is the significance of the number five on which I concentrate. And here it is. There's a list. Number one, Abram, Abraham later fought five kings in the valley of Siddim. Two, Moses warred with the five kings of Midian. Three, Israel battled the five kings of the Amalekites. Four, Joshua killed the five kings of the Amorites. Five, Israel was vexed by the five lords in the five cities of the Philistines. Six, David chose five stones for his battle with Goliath and his four brothers. Seven, Joseph prophetically stood five of his brothers before Pharaoh in Egypt. Eight, Israel was threatened by the five capital cities of Philistia, Ashdod, Gath, Ekron, Ashkelon, and Gaza. Continuing, Jesus gave five signs of miraculous power to the church. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Two, they will speak with new tongues. Three, they will take up serpents. Four, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Five, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Note in a measure, Jesus repeated these gifts at the ascension. Paul wrote to the Ephesians how that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now the gifts that Paul identifies in the Ephesian letter parallel these same five. But I want us to recognize, and this cannot be accidental, that Satan himself, as it's listed in the scripture, the powers, Satan, powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. The sequence flows through all of the scripture. And I'm not wanting to mysticize the number five. But I'm simply wanting to recognize that by the time the New Testament comes into being and Jesus himself endorses that number five, we have every reason to believe there is significance there for us. It cannot be accidental that all of those Old Testament examples were five, 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 five. And then you remember, and I especially love this passage, when ancient Israel caught the five kings of Midian and, and Joshua locked them in a cave and they put rocks in the door of the cave. And then finally, Joshua told them, bring out those five kings to me. They brought them out. And then in my early days reading this, I thought, Lord, you're just being needlessly cruel. If you want to kill them, kill them. But don't torment them. Joshua had them strapped to the ground and then told his captains of war, you come, each of you, put your foot on the neck of each of these kings. 
Now that seems like cruelty, needless cruelty. Take a rock, bash him in the head, kill him, and drag them away. No, Joshua said, you are going to stand in authority over all five of these kings. You are going to prove the authority and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are going to exercise in your life the authority that God has given you. You are going to take authority over powers of darkness. You are going to banish them, get them out of your life, and stand in victory over them. Oh, the whole reason, the whole reason of the pattern in the Old Testament, that list that I read of the five, the five, the five, the five, climaxes in the New Testament when the soldiers of Christ stand over and win. You hear me. It is not enough to merely preach the gospel. The whole purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to win to bring powers of darkness. Not only get them out of the cave, but all of the captains of war to stand in victory over them. That's what happened to me. I didn't realize it at the time. That day when that young prisoner laid hands on me, and the power and the authority of Jesus Christ flooded into me. And the scales fell from my eyes. And I saw with a new depth truths in the Word that I had never seen before. And I couldn't see them. I couldn't see them. Now, hear this. I still believe every scripture that John Calvin ever attached himself to and used in the developing of his theology. I believe the scripture. The problem with John Calvin and Calvinism, and I hope the whole world will hear me say this, the failure of Calvinism is that it takes those select scriptures and builds its theology on them and rejects everything else. And what it rejects is the very authority and power that these men of war are showing before God. I can stand in victory over the powers of darkness. Who can? Simple little old me. I may have a third grade education. I may be the poorest in the lot. But once the power and the authority of Jesus Christ has flooded into me, I am more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. Do you hear that? I'm not a conqueror. 
I am more than a conqueror. Through him who loved me, died for me, died for me, gave up his life, that that life once released from him on the cross would be free to come into me and free to come into you. That's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about three songs, a dull message, and a nap. <clears throat> Christianity is a living, moving river of holy and divine truth that can sweep away not just the dirt and grime in all of the barns, but sweep away the barns themselves and impart to us authority. I never knew that in my first ministry. And I never volunteered ever to minister in deliverance. But you know, after my encounter that came to me through a prisoner, a man locked behind bars for crimes he did and he needed to be there according to the law. But God had come into the prison with him. He ministered not only to me, but to numerous other prisoners, gangsters of the worst sort. And do you know it wasn't long, a matter of weeks after that, one of my former church members called me. I had, in the meantime, resigned the church in Atlanta and moved back to Florida. And one of my former church members called me, a woman who had been an alcoholic for 18 years. She had gone through programs. Nothing had worked. Her husband left her. Her children didn't want the grandchildren seeing their grandmother, you know, with her dress half-buttoned and her hair uncombed and the smell of liquor on her breath. She lost her husband. She lost her family. She lost contact with her grandchildren. We were talking. This was um, the first deliverance after my baptism in the Spirit. We were talking on the phone 600 miles apart, and suddenly she said to me, she broke out into the conversation, Brother Charles, Brother Charles, what's happening to me? What's happening? What's happening to me? She meant right then. And I realized the Holy Spirit was on her. And I said, are you sitting down? Yes. And I said, well, don't drop the phone. This won't take but a few minutes. Five minutes later, she was totally delivered from addiction, alcohol. Totally delivered. Got filled with the Holy Spirit. 
There's other parts of the story I don't know whether even to tell, but her church could not understand what had happened to her. She told him, I'll never drink again. I've been delivered. How did that happen? I got filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now hear this. If she had said, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and I got delivered, they would have accepted it and believed it. But because she said, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, they felt challenged theologically. She had to leave the church. She did. <clears throat> Things happened in a big rush for me after my own deliverance, and that's what this is all about, what I read in the onset. I was at a funeral, and a young man, well, pardon, a young man there went into a demonic rage. Bring that to me. We're all family. Thank you. <clears throat> but that night got delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't long after that I was moved, living in Florida Delray Beach my phone rang it was an Episcopal priest I had met a few times it was about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang, and I answered it. And he yelled into the phone an address and said, Charles, get over here, and slammed down the phone. I didn't have time to ask, what's the problem? He was come and gone. But in the background, I heard noise, and I knew what it was. I knew there was a demonic rage underway. So I rushed over to the house, Got there, the yard was filled with police cars and paramedic wagons and fire trucks. And I could hear on the outside the roaring that was going on in, inside the house. I went to the door, the mother grabbed me by the arm and said, it's my son, he's gone crazy, help. And the room was full of policemen. She took me to the bedroom opened the door, and there on the bed, a, a single bed in front of me, was what I thought was a six-foot, four-inch tall, huge, muscular guy, which wasn't the case. But his 200, it was a teenage boy. His 200-pound father lay, lying across his body this way, a fireman lying across his body that way, the Episcopal priest at his feet trying to hold him down. I anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. And when I did, he raised all four of us to a standing position. And he was on a springy bed. I've never figured out the geometry of that. <clears throat> During that time, the police officer 
came to the door. The mother was outside barricading it and saying, we're going to take him. And she said, no, you're not. You're going to let the pastor have a chance. <clears throat> and I told the father, I said, your son has been into witchcraft. I guess I knew that as a word of knowledge. And he said, well, if he has, we haven't known anything about it. And I said, well, he is. He's into witchcraft. I knew that from the power of the demon that was fighting back. And it, it was roaring. And then in about an, after an hour of speaking the authority of Jesus Christ to the spirit in that young teenage boy, suddenly he just fell limp, like he had died, really. And we backed away. And a little bit later, he raised up very slowly on the bed, and his dad was kneeling on the floor in front of him. And he said, Dad, where am I? What happened? His mind was completely blocked out. But the good news was, he walked out the door normal. And I happened to be looking at the police officer's face when he stepped out. And if I could demonstrate how big his eyes got, you would know. The police captain was shocked. They went back to their police station, Boynton Beach. This has been years ago and wrote on the blotter what the, re the crisis had been and said, but we witnessed a successful exorcism. They had the courage to say that. And I say courage because the National Enquirer newspaper found that report and had it on the front page of the National Enquirer. I had told the family that night, I said, don't give my name to anybody. I'm not hanging out a shingle. I'm not advertising. And I said, don't give my name to anybody. So the National Enquirer never got my name. They described, here's what they did. And this is typical of, but I'm going to a much more important point. <clears throat> they wrote it up described me as the mystery man who arrived after midnight and disappeared into the room carrying this strange-looking black bag. The black bag was my zipper-lined Bible. <laughs> Other newspapers got the story and published it also. Here's my major point that was a Jesus Christ event the secular papers wanted the sensationalism of it how many Christian publications republished it can you guess zero zero what was a triumph of the gospel message of Christ was dismissed by the church. 
Now, I'm through. But this is my point. We have a mission. Those few of us who hold to the whole gospel message and believe it, we have a task before us. And the good news is God is on our side. Don't be hesitant, number one, to believe all that the scripture has said. Don't forget, even with you ladies in high heels, you have the authority to stand on their necks. You have the power. In fact, I will tell you that probably across America right now, the greatest number of believing and exercising people who are taking authority over demons and are teaching it in their Tuesday Bible study classes are the women. I would venture to say that. So what are we going to do? We're going to believe the scripture. For this let men reproach defame. This is an old hymn. And call me what they will. I will follow Christ the Lamb and be his servant still. For this, let men reproach, defame, and call me what they will. I will follow Christ the Lamb and be his servant still. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I want us to worship again, and if the musicians will come forward, I would be glad for that. Um, I want, we're going to worship a minute, and then I'm, as I trust the Holy Spirit will lead me, we will proceed from there with personal ministry. Let's stand. begun a good work in us. You've begun a good work this night. We thank you for it. But you're not done. You want to confirm the word with signs following. We want that. We want the word so confirmed in us that it will never be taken from us never be diminished in any capacity in us and that we will stand in the absolute authority Jesus that you gave us that we will not turn our back on the enemy but we will face him head on knowing is greater are you that's in us than he that is in the world and that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony hallelujah hallelujah I'm good. <laughs> Joe, come on. Let's worship.